0: Good morning and welcome to Oasis. My name's Adrian. I'll be kind of taking us through this next part. Uh, Today, if this is your first time around us, you join us as we start a brand new series at Oasis called uh, Living Faith. Now, what we've entitled that, and we're going to be exploring the book of James under this title, is actually for three reasons. And um, I hope through the weeks that we'll get to explore and understand more of these reasons. But the first one's this. The way we've entitled the series Living Faith is actually those of us who've put Jesus at the center of our being have understood that actually through his life, death, and resurrection, we've gained everything, everything we've celebrated in worship, that actually we're those that therefore would say we have a faith that's living, a faith and trust in one who is living, that God isn't dead, that he's alive, and therefore because he's living as Father, Son, and Spirit in perfect relationship, we're now those through our faith who are in a living relationship with not a following of rules. So that's the first thing, that living faith is all about a celebration of the relationship that we have. The second thing is living faith is all about the fact that our faith, our trust in who God is and what God is about and how he wants to use our lives is actually one that isn't static. It isn't one moment we find ourselves saying, actually, yeah, I've put my faith in, in who Jesus is and his life, death, and resurrection, that's it, now get on the rest of my life. Actually, from that point on, our life is growing in faith in trust, in recognition of who God is and how it then impacts the rest of our lives. And so therefore, it's a living faith. It's not a static one. It's a faith that is continuously growing. And then the third aspect is what I've already alluded to, actually, but is the fact that actually our faith in who God is actually shapes everything about what our life is about. And therefore, faith is something that is all about our lives. It impacts every moment. And if you like, so often in this day and age, particularly in Western culture, we're dictated to by time. And so my guess is if you're like me, you haven't got a watch on, you'll always have an understanding that there is a time scale to your day. The fact that we have days is, is kind of monitored by a 24-hour period, within a week Within a month, within a year, we we time and schedule everything. And though you might not have a watch and you've probably got a mobile phone, that's what I use as my clock now, and so I'm continuously looking at it. What I've actually found, which is quite an interesting aside, is if you don't wear a watch, you start to get more and more akin to what sort of time it is. So generally, I have an idea of what time it is, even without wearing a watch. Amazing! But here's the deal, though. When we wear a watch, it actually causes us to have an understanding of time. And so my guess is, once it gets to about quarter past 12, We're about to finish. If I haven't, everyone will start to look at their watches at that point, thinking, come on. But The thing's this, you see, though our lives might be dictated to by time, I want us to see it slightly differently. And just as there's a reaction in us daily looking at our watches, in those moments as we look at the clock, I want us to then at those moments be thinking, what does my faith mean in this moment? How is my life being shaped by the faith I have in this amazing God, this God of love that we've been celebrating this morning. And over this series, we're going to find out that James's burden through his letter is to cause us as followers of Jesus to have lives that are shaped by Jesus and not to settle for anything less. And so with that in mind, I want us to now to look at the letter. And so we're going to get just straight in there with James one one. it It'll come up on the screen. So we'll just quickly use James one one to kind of introduce us to the letter, because we get to be introduced to the individual who wrote it, and we get to introduce us to who he's writing it to. And so it just simply says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. See, James doesn't give a lot of description as to who he is, and they can be, well, well, what is he? Well, I'd say around all that I've read, what I would say, the person who wrote the book of James was the brother of Jesus. I think everything points to that fact. You see, James, the brother of Jesus, was someone who also was a significant leader in the church in that day. And so in the first church that was established in Jerusalem, he became the leader, which became at that point in time, just after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension to be with God, Father Spirit in uh, heaven, before the Holy Spirit sent through, there's this new church that emerges, Jerusalem. Spirit poured out on it. Then from there, it kind of goes to the rest of the world, this amazing message of the gospel. And the leader of that church in Jerusalem ended up being James, Jesus' brother. So this is a guy who was known throughout the world at this point by those who are followers of Jesus. And yet, James doesn't introduce himself as the brother of Jesus. James doesn't introduce himself as the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Rather, James introduces himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he gets back to where we were last week, and he says, what my life is about is a candle. Now, for those of you who weren't around last week, you're thinking, oh no, what on earth do I come in on? There's already things happening that I've not quite got, and now they're saying that their lives are about candles. Well, just stick with me for a moment. What we said last week is this, that our lives are centered around a candle, not literally a physical candle that burns for 150 hours, no less, um, (laughs) but rather one who came to this earth and declared that he was the light of the whole world, whose name was Jesus, who promised that in being the light of the whole world, as we looked at last week, said that he would fill anyone's life who centers around him with his light. And if you are here last week, we remember celebrating in who we are as a church, is recognizing that actually what we celebrate in ultimately is the one we're all about, which is Jesus, that our whole lives orbit, rotate around who Jesus is at the center of us. Because actually it's only with Jesus being at the center our lives make any sense. Because we realize that in being centered around him, our lives are full of light. And that light brings color, the color of knowing that we're loved unconditionally, accepted unconditionally. The understanding that love then brings into us a deep sense of peace, a sense of peace that makes us understand that we're free, free from guilt and shame. And that life that's centered around him means not only are we filled with love and peace, we're also those that are filled with joy. A joy that's based not in who we are or what we do, but in who he is and what he's done. And so to continue where we left off last week, we find that James is one who says, actually, what am I about? I'm not, I don't want you to know me as the brother of Jesus. I could say, I I don't want you to know me as the leader of the biggest church of influence in the day. Now, what I want you to know me about is one who's centered around Jesus. Jesus, who I've come to recognize, is God. See, something happened to James that profoundly changed his life forever. So you can read the accounts of Jesus' life on earth. And I love the accounts of Jesus' life on earth because they're just real. There's real individuals in there. So you get both the good bits, the bad bits, and the ugly bits. As you get moments where Jesus is kind of uh, going around, healing people, praying for the sick, talking to mass crowds, calling them to understand what a free life looks like with him at the center. And then you find his family around on the scene at the edges. And so you find that these moments where his mother and his brothers turn up to talk to him. And when his mother and his brothers talk to him, they, they don't say, hey Jesus, well done, you're doing great. They're saying, you seem a bit nuts. I think you should come home now. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where your parents have turned up and said, I think you've done enough now, Adrian. I think it's time to come home. Now, my parents are in Oasis, and believe me, they could tell you many, many stories (laughs) of where they've had to say, I think you've done enough, Adrian. I think it's time to come home. See, for Jesus, he didn't listen at that point to his family because he knew that actually he had a different mission, a mission that though they were naturally connected, actually he had a different father a heavenly father who actually profoundly changed everything. And for James, there came a point after Jesus' resurrection where Jesus appeared to James. Paul refers to it in Corinthians. And at that moment where Jesus, the resurrected one, appears to James, suddenly his perception of someone he's always perceived as his older brother it's changed and he realized that this isn't just a natural older brother. This is the greatest brother you could ever have. Because this isn't just a human being. This is God himself incarnate in a human. And for James at that point, it wrecked his life. It wrecked his life so much that he realized that he had to center himself continuously always around this Jesus who isn't just the man who is God. That caused him to live his life and say, what's my life about? My life's about Jesus. So much so that I'm not anything without my identity to him. I've centered everything around him. I'm here on this earth for his bidding. If you like, I'm now a servant of God. I'm a friend. But I'm his servant. Because he's won my heart. Everything I want to do is for him. And That's all he does in his introduction. And when I write people an email, I just say, hi, it's Adrian. You know, there's... And usually I put the Adrian, bit at the end, James kind of just sticks it in there, very beginning. Who am I? I'm one centered around Jesus. And that infiltrates and influences everything I do. You know what? For some of us here, maybe just one or two, that's enough this morning. I've actually got quite a bit of other stuff to say, but at this point, that's enough. Because you're thinking, I don't even know if I believe that. I don't even know if I believe that Jesus is God. And for you, I'd say, well, join us in the rest of this journey of the message I'm going to speak this morning. But for you, I'd say, why don't you pause and take like a kind of a mental picture at this point and say, I need to examine this. I need to examine, is Jesus God? Because if he is, the implications it had on James, maybe it could have on me. And I'd ask you, if you want to explore that, why don't you join the Alpha Course? The Alpha Course isn't something we do just because it feels like a nice label to slap on. It's genuinely there because we believe Jesus is worth exploring. And I promise you, as you look to him, he will reveal himself. And I promise you, at the end of Alpha, you never get to the end saying, well, Jesus may or may not have been God. You either get to a conclusive yes or a conclusive no. I promise you, whichever one you go for, we will still love you and respect you but it's so worthwhile investing just a few evenings to discover whether or not he is. So that kind of allows us to understand who's the author. What about who's he writing to? Well, he kind of puts it out there. Who's he writing to? He's writing to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings! I like that. Um, You see, James is writing, and he refers and uses this kind of Old Testament picture to say who is he writing to. He's not actually writing to any specific group of people. He kind of writes it, and it's as though he's just put dear all, but he puts it in a slightly bigger form. And what he does is he used this Old Testament picture that was revealing kind of the people of God. And so the people of God depicted by twelve tribes. And what he's saying is actually, actually, just as the people of God used to be twelve tribes, actually, it's now the people of God are people who are now centred around Jesus. And in them centering around Jesus, they're no longer in one nation, they're now scattered over all nations. So we quickly deduce that who's James writing to? He's writing to anyone, anywhere, who said that Jesus is the center of their being. That kind of excites me, because I think, that's me. And maybe it's you. And therefore, when we read this letter, isn't that we're reading, kind of looking back in history, saying, oh, what did this mean just for them there? It's actually, we're reading it now, present day, saying, what does it mean for us? Because James wants to get our attention and say, hey, I want to write to you in order that you know how your life needs to work out, now you've caused this amazing God of love to be the one that your life is centered on. See, there's a danger sometimes that people read James and they think it's this list of a guy just banging people on the head saying, come on, do this. Actually, no, it's not a guy who's totally changed from the inside and therefore it's changing his outside. As they No, my life is completely founded on this God of love who's revealed himself through Jesus. And that in me, understanding that, it's therefore infiltrating and changing everything outside and how I act and how I behave. Is it for you? And it's to that on mind that we're going to now pick up from verse 2. i read through to 18. Where basically James is going to straight away let the rubber hit the road. He doesn't kind of like settle us in, saying, well, you know, remember this? Remember that? He goes, bang, let's go straight to it. So he says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's a way to open a letter, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Consider it joy when you're facing trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is a double-minded, unstable in all that they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, for each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin with its full-grown gives birth to death. It's quite light, isn't it? I, I don't know if you're feeling that, you know, just like, how's your life going? Mine's going pretty well. You know, yesterday we went to the park. Um, It's kind of one of those letters, isn't it? Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. What we're going to find as we read this letter and commentators would kind of point to this fact, is that James is, is, is written like a collection of talks. A collection of talks that James has done that, that are kind of being pieced together in order that we get a picture of something fuller. And when we understand it like that, we realize that actually there's these common threads that then go through it, because it can seem sometimes that James is jumping from one thing to the next, and yet actually as you read it through, there's these common threads that you're able to say, oh, that dot joins to that one, and as I join the dot, suddenly I get a bigger picture. And that's what James does. And so through this passage, what we're going to find is as we join the dots, James wants to build us a bigger picture. See, what James wants to do to start off with is this. He wants us to talk about rucksacks. Now, what you're going to understand about me at the moment is part of the way that I'm learning to kind of memorize more of my, my talks, and unfortunately, you guys are guinea pigs, is that me props kind of help me. You may be wondering, why do I keep doing it? Well, it just helps me remember. Now, I'm not building things just for the sake of it, but there's always a reason. And so you're going to find it quite peculiar if you've never been here before, and if you have been here before, you're going to find it more peculiar than ever. Mm -hmm. And that is I'm going to wear this for the rest of the morning. (coughs) If nothing else, you're going to be intrigued. See, the deal is, and this is what James is trying to get hold, is that life can feel sometimes like a bit like a rucksack. Because you see, life is full of stuff, and stuff (laughs) happens. And what James wants us to understand is that when stuff happens, when we have to put the ruckstack on of the stuff that's happening, actually there becomes a moment of opportunity. That's what he's saying through this. And we're going to look at what some of the stuff is that he's pointing to. But he says there's a moment of opportunity when stuff happens, a moment of opportunity of how are we going to react? How are we going to focus? Because on that moment, if we're those that are centered around Jesus, actually there becomes this moment that where we can grow in our faith, where we can see God more fully that actually cause us in the end to actually have strength to keep going and actually have joy as we do it I don't know if you heard some of the passages that were read out some of the encouragements that were given during our time of worship our time of coming as a community and centering again around who God is and it was all about whatever life throws God just still amazing Adrian Hurst paraphrase of many, many great contributions. <laughs> when you have to start carrying a rucksack, where are you going to look? See, James says there's stuff that happens. He says there's three different things that can happen, three different stuffs, if you like, that can happen. The first one's this, trials. That's what he talks about. He says that sometimes trials can happen. And so we find ourselves putting on the rucksack of trials. That might be s- basically when life doesn't quite go how we planned or how we would have wanted it to go. That's what a trial is. It could be a big one. We could suddenly find ourselves being weighed down by a big trial. It might be the trial of persecution. I've suddenly, because of a saying that we're centering our around self around Jesus, actually, it causes others to react differently to us. I and mean, we live in a nation, fortunately, where, to be honest, it's not going to be physical persecution. But sometimes it can mean that we get misunderstood. It means that we get passed over promotion means that people avoid us, and so we become like social lepers because of what we believe. But it might be other stuff. It might be the trial of, of bereavement, where suddenly someone who we truly loved is taken, and we just find ourselves just in that moment, just weighed down. It might be from that way of a result result that we were getting for a degree are A-levels or GCSEs and suddenly we think that isn't what I thought I was gonna get. What's gonna happen to my life now? Maybe it's through financial crisis, maybe it's through unemployment, maybe it's through that moment of thinking actually I thought I was gonna be healthy and I've just got this result and I suddenly am wondering what? And we find ourselves in a rock cycle that just feels heavy. Sometimes the trials aren't big ones. Sometimes they're small ones. But the thing is, even though they're small, they can still feel like they weigh. It might be just losing our keys in the morning. It might be that our car breaks down. It might be that our computer breaks down. Man. (laughs) The internet isn't working. (laughs) And you suddenly find yourself in like, man, this feels heavy. But it isn't just bad stuff. Sometimes it's when <coughs> great stuff happens that we weren't planning. And we suddenly find that there's this money we weren't expecting. And we suddenly find that there's this promotion we weren't looking for. We suddenly find that we've got favor where we'd never expected it. And suddenly we find this is a new weight to carry. And James says, How are you going to carry it? Are you going to be someone who suddenly gets so focused on the weight that you find yourself stumbling around? (laughs) Kind of moving from left to right as though you're being tossed from wave to wave? Or are you going to react differently? Is the fact that you're someone who's centered around Jesus got anything to do with this? And he says, Well, it's not just trials, it's also wealth. And when we read the letter of James, we're going to find that sometimes it feels like he doesn't really have a lot of good things to say about wealthy people. And we might start to find, is it, was he prejudice against wealthy people? We're going to discover that he isn't. There's some particular things he needs to address, but also some particular things he wants to live with. See, what James is saying in terms of wealth, he says, actually, sometimes you can find yourself looking at the rucksack you're wearing as to what you've got. In other words, have you got a lot or are you in need? And is the fact that you've got the best rucksack in town, the thing that you keep trawling everyone else's attention to. So you look and you say, man, look at this rucksack. Pretty good. It's got one of those belts. (laughs) My son's been wearing it, so I can't do it up. (laughs) This is a nice rucksack. Or maybe we think, man, just look at me. The straps bust. That's the kind of rucksack I've got. And James says, are we going to allow what we've got or what we haven't to determine what we live like? How are we going to react? And then lastly, he says, it's not just trials. It's not just wealth. It's then temptation. That moment where suddenly our desire to be satisfied about something causes us to look somewhere that isn't where we've said our life is centered around Jesus. And suddenly, that desire becomes something that we're carrying. We think, man, I've just got to, I've just got to see it satisfied. And I want to satisfy it as immediate as possible. And so we find ourselves, rather than being one who's orbiting around Jesus, saying, actually, Jesus is at the center of everything, we suddenly find ourselves taking the rucksack off and saying, actually, I really need to be satisfied. And actually, I'm going to find myself orbiting this I just feel really alone and I just need to feel like I'm not and so maybe I'm just going to quickly nip on the computer maybe I'm quickly going to look at some things that I just know in this moment are going to cause me to not feel as alone maybe it's that actually I just suddenly feel like They've all got so much stuff. And actually, maybe I could just spend this on that. I haven't got it, but I really want it. And I know if I get it, it's going to help me. So I'm just going to orbit myself around that. And James says, when those desires come, and you find yourself starting to put the rucksack down to say, I'm going to orbit around that rather than him. Is that how you want to live? James gets this moment and says stuff happens. <coughs> the deal is how are you going to respond to it? Is it going to be a moment of crisis or is it going to be a moment of confidence? Is it going to be a moment to fear or is it going to be a moment of peace? Is it going to be a moment of despair or is it going to be a moment of joy? And James says, the only way it could be the latter ones is all about where you focus. That's the only way you're going to deal with this. It's all about your focus and where you look. Are you going to look at the rucksack? Are you going to look at the trial? Are you going to look at the wealth? Are you going to look at the temptation? Or are you going to live with a ladder? You're wondering what it was there for, weren't you? You see, ladders offer... <coughs> a different perspective. See, the deal is the stuff's still there. But the thing is, as I climb a ladder, suddenly I've blanked out the screen, but (laughs) it all looks a bit different. See, from down here, just for those of you who know me, you kind of know that I'm not great with ladders, Um, so please bear with me. You know that um, I ended up in hospital Uh, off for two weeks, having impaled myself from the ladder a few years ago. This one hasn't got that many sharp edges, so I'm reckoning I'll be okay. Um, (coughs) Here's the deal. When I'm down this level, everything is at my level. And it's sometimes hard to see past that. When I'm up here, the whole view's different. The perspective changes. This is what James wants us to get hold of. The stuff doesn't go away. (laughs) That's not the promise here. It isn't that the stuff's going to go away. It's rather that there's a a way that we could see it where it's different. This is how James puts it. If we can put up the next one, James, uh, and in verses 17 and 18, which says this. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Here's the deal. Now, at some point, you're going to suddenly feel like, this is slightly uncomfortable because he's up a ladder and he's looking down at me. Let's not feel uncomfortable. Let's rather think that's just slightly odd, and maybe you'll remember it because of that reason. Because you see, when we're up here, where we get to look is to God. That's the point. So if nothing else, I want you to remember, ladder, look to God. What's God like? Well, we're told by James that in this moment, we need to see him as a father of lights. That's how he says. He says, see God as a father of lights. In this moment, as the stuff said, the stuff's still on my back, but in this moment with the stuff back, I get a different percep- perception where I get to look up and see God as a father who's my father of lights. What does that mean? It means that I'm reminded that he's the creator God. He's the God who created light out of darkness. He's all-powerful. He was at the beginning, and he created it all out of love. Suddenly, I'm starting to have my view changed here. From the stuff on my back, I'm starting to remember who God is. He's, he's the Father who created everything. But he's not only the Father who created everything. He's the Father who, out of love, sent his Son to be light, He's the father of light, the father of the one who's come and filled my life with light. It reminds me as well, but I get to kind of interact with God in relationship. I get to remember that he isn't just God above who created, God above who sent his son in order that I would know what it is to have a life full of the color that his son brings. I get to know that I now relate to God as father. I get caught up in this intimate relationship with him. I get to remember that it isn't just that I've got this father who I'm able to relate to, it's also a father who desires my good. Every good thing comes from him. What he's after is my best. And the f- this father isn't like me as a dad, because he's unchanging. That's what I get to see at the top of the ladder. I suddenly get to see that the stuff's still there, but actually my gaze is different. It's now on this father of lights. This father of lights who's reminded me that he's the creator, he's the saving one. He's one who I'm in relationship with, who's my father, he's one that's unchanging. He's one that's after my good. And then James says, don't just remember that stuff. Remember, he's the one who actually birthed you through the word of life. The fact that I'm able to have Jesus as the center of my life, flooding my life with love and peace and joy, is all because of the Father's initiative. So I get to look back on at the top of the ladder, I get to remember, this is who Father is, and this is what Father's done. Father sent his son Jesus into the world to change my life forever, to change your life forever. Why? Because he loves us and wants our best. So I get to remember at the top of the ladder who Father is in the now, what he's done. And then I get to look forward because he says, oh, and as you remember what he's done, as you remember who he is as a father, oh, you yeah, look forward because you're like a first fruit for the whole of creation. And I thought I was just standing on a ladder. Now I'm suddenly a linchpin between the whole of history that changes humanity forever. Suddenly, at the top of the ladder, I remember who God as a father is. And in remembering, I remember what he's done in my past, in our past, in sending his son, Jesus, so that he could be at the center of everything. And then I get pulled forward to so, say, oh, and I get to remember that actually in what he's done in me, in bringing this totally new life, he's going to do for the whole of creation. I get remembered. I get to be rem- reminded, even. That's better than remembered, isn't it? I get to be reminded that we aren't always going to live with rucksacks that one day, we see it in Revelation 21, if you've been around here for a long time, you'll know that I always refer to here because I always want us to live with that hope of what is to come, is that one day there will be no more rucksacks. One day there'll be no more suffering, no more pain, no more injustice. One day we'll see God as he is. One day our lives will be filled with his color. One day the whole of creation, Vince is liking this, one day the whole of creation will be filled with him. And when that happens, what we're told is there's no more night. Why? Because light has suddenly flooded the earth. We then think, I don't get to sleep. You won't need to sleep. Because suddenly everything is renewed. Man, I just started with a rucksack, climbing a ladder. And suddenly I'm there looking in the present, remembering who God is as a father Remembering what he's done, remembering what he's gonna do, and do you know what it does? Causes me to jump for ladders? Yes, but more than that, it suddenly changes the perception, the perspective, the focus of everything. It's suddenly I can be someone who can wear rucksacks. I'm someone who where trials can come. I can be someone where temptation can come. I can be sometimes someone who can live with plenty and in need, mm-hmm. and suddenly realise that actually my focus isn't on the rucksack. It's on Him. And when it's on Him, suddenly everything changes. Suddenly everything changes. That Actually, I realize that a trial isn't something that's going to wipe me out, weighing me down. It's rather something that I can push through because I've got one who's given me strength. My focus isn't on this. It's on Him. I suddenly can find that whether I've got plenty or need, it doesn't matter because actually in the moments of needing more, I realize that actually... Without him, I'd be desperate. And one day, I'm going to have everything. In the moments of plenty, I suddenly realize, as James writes, it's momentary. It's nothing compared to everything I've got with him. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the kind of rucksack I wear. Means in the moment of temptation. I suddenly think, man, this isn't from God. This is rather a moment where I say, actually, this desire... Isn't a moment to inwardly go as Mike Blaber would help us understand? Brother, it's a moment to go out. It's a moment to remember we're centered around Jesus and he's the one only who's ever going to satisfy. Why? Because we've got this father in heaven who is good and perfect and loves to give us good things. It doesn't mean that the stuff goes away, but it means that he's going to be with us in it. (coughs) Which means that we get to be those who live like this. Rather than when stuff comes hitting crisis, we find confidence. Rather than when stuff comes being filled with fear, we find peace. Rather than when stuff comes, we feel despair. We get to know joy. As our focus gets on Him. And I tell you what, this is exactly the outcome of all we looked at last week. It suddenly causes our lives, no matter what stuff we get thrown at us, to be those that reveal the colors and flavors of this wonderful Father in heaven that everyone can enjoy. And so we're left with a question, it's this, what next? And I say, there's three ways we can do this. One is, maybe it's to examine it. I've already encouraged you, come along to Alpha. Maybe it's to push this more and say, is this something I think God has got for me that I could try and explore Do I believe there's a God? If he is, then what? Come along to that night. Kind of title hopefully sees that you're there. Maybe it's a moment to recognize. Recognize the opportunity you've got by the rucksack that's been given to you at the moment. And lastly, maybe it's to receive. Maybe it's to receive and say, do you know what? Let's not focus on the rucksack for a bit. Let's focus on the Father. say in this moment now with what's going on in my life I look to you Father remembering my past looking forward to my future and understanding you want to come and encounter with me by your Holy Spirit do you know the most wonderful thing is the Holy Spirit isn't one who's kind of mystical and understandable Romans 8 helps us understand the Holy Spirit comes and wells up from within us in order that we'd be able to do what? Cry out to God, Abba, Father. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. He isn't three different gods, he's one. And as one, he's always working for us to understand his love and our desire for our best. His desire for our best. And my encouragement this morning is, do you need that? Do you need to examine it? Do you need to recognize it? this moment, opportunity that's afforded you? And lastly, do you need to receive it? And we're going to give an opportunity now for those who want to receive to receive. But before we get that, I'm going to ask us all to stand. If we could close our eyes now. Just a way of not getting distracted by others. Just so that our eyes closed. They just want us to not look at our watches. <laughs> just going to take... seconds just of silence between us and God and saying where am I at what do I need to do thank you that your desire for us is blanket it's it's exactly the same whoever we are whatever we're doing however our life's going that your desire for us is for our good and best and it's out of this deep sense of your love for each of us that as we sung you love us isn't that you just love me (laughs) you love us and I, I pray father would you come and would you meet with each of us in terms of the life we're at at the moment, the stuff that we're dealing with. And I pray, God, you'd raise our sights in order to understand that you're a father who longs and loves to do good to us and desires to meet with us now. And I pray, God, that we'd be those who live out, revealing to others the wonder of the perspective and focus we get to live with, regardless of when stuff happens. And I ask God that you therefore be with us, Holy Spirit, as we seek to do that. And God, I want to pray also for those who just know that actually stuff's happening and stuff's filled gazes. And today is a moment to realign the gaze, to realign and say, actually, I need to get up the ladder and look to you. And they just need others to to stand with them to do it. I pray, God, would you come and give confidence to respond to that. And I pray, Jesus, that you'd come and meet with individuals ask this for your glory Jesus amen Amen. okay what we're going to do now is we're going to do three different things for some of us we're going to need to respond and say actually I just need some others to stand with me at the moment and I need to just get others to pray with me in order that I can experience afresh this God who is my father